Thanks for tuning in to Redeeming Grace Bible Church. Here at Redeeming Grace Bible Church, it's our full conviction, as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We pray as a result of this sermon, you come to see and know Christ more clearly, and if you do not yet know Christ, that you might also come to see him as Lord and Savior. Zechariah's prophecy. And his, va- and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Bless the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Thank you, Steve. And we remember once again, though the grass withers and though the flower fades, that the word of our God remains forever. Let's just ask his help as we look at his word this morning. Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we realize that, uh, Lord, all life receives its breath from you, and Lord, you uphold the universe, we're told by the word of your power, and so as we come now to your special revelation, this holy word that you have delivered to us through the prophets and apostles, Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord, that it would not simply be uh, just information that we are gathering, or uh, just simply uh, new insights into history, Lord, but we would come to see you more clearly, to see your faithfulness, and Lord, the the beauty of of what you have done, even um, despite man's rebellion and and sinful uh, actions, Lord, that you still brought about your plan in the fullness of time. And so I pray for help as I speak, that it would be uh, in accordance with your word, Lord, and in the strength of your spirit, and that each would be encouraged and, Lord, just helped and instructed um, by your Holy Spirit as well this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, be seated. Thank you. Well, this morning, we... Uh, come then to the, the New Testament. I know we've been spending quite a bit of time in the Old Testament 
We're working through the various covenants that God established with the patriarchs, with David. And uh, so this morning, the title is The the Witnesses to Christ's Coming. And uh, I want to take some time to consider some of the witnesses that were uh, given around the time of Christ's coming and to hear what they have to say. Uh, I know we live in a very extraordinary time. Uh, a very unique time in the history of humanity, and I think we've probably gotten so used to it that we don't think about it anymore, this ability to pretty much watch any major world event, at least in part, live stream from somebody's device or phone. Uh, Any time that something significant happens, you have countless people who can pull out a device and begin recording it for us, and uh, we can watch it almost uh, live if you're finding the right sources. And so we have this overabundance of, of witnesses and, uh, and we expect, you know, video footage in HD streamed right to our living room uh, if we're going to uh, believe something, I suppose. But of course, God chose to send his son in a time when they did not have such technology and uh, even the ability to write things down was difficult and it's hard for us to appreciate that. But certainly we can... Realize that God did not send his son into the world without establishing credible witnesses that we might also know what took place and how to interpret it. What what do these things mean? What is it that Christ is coming to do? And how does that connect us to all that has come before it? And so I want to consider this morning the witnesses that God has provided for us. Now, for you that are just visiting this morning, we've been looking at some of the covenants in the Old Testament. Uh, We started in Genesis, where God established his covenant with Adam, what we call the covenant of works. And it was a covenant that if Adam kept, he did not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then he would enjoy the blessings of Eden. He would be able to live forever in the land. He was to be fruitful and multiply with Eve as they bring about other image bearers into the world and the glory of God would cover the earth and it was as though Adam had been given a kingdom to tend to, to watch over, to guard for the glory of God. And of course, man quickly fell into sin and broke that covenant. And as our federal head, Adam gives to all of us original sin, innate rebellion against the law of God. And in Noah, we saw, well, we've seen briefly that God provided stability for the earth in a covenant with Noah to never again destroy it through flood and that there would be springtime and harvest, this sort of uh, um, consistency in creation. And we move from there where God singles out one man, Abraham, and his wife, Sarai, who was barren. And through this man, God announces that he is going to establish another covenant. And with the covenant of Abraham, there are three specific promises we've seen that uh, have been carried out through the others. The promise of a seed or an offspring through this man who would be uh, a blessing to the nations. Not only Abraham would be blessed, but through this seed, the nations themselves would be blessed and they would multiply greatly as the stars are in the heavens or the sand on the seashore. And from Abraham... As God brings his people out of Egypt and they are established as a nation, God gives them the Mosaic Covenant, which gives them the framework and the needed structure to go forward into the promised land and there be established as a nation under God 
given the needed laws and commandments, the moral law, the ceremonial law, instructions for the sacrificial system by which they can atone for their sin and remain in the land. And we also have the civil laws given so that they can order themselves in a godly fashion as a nation. And in time, we see that they quickly broke that covenant over and over again. They were able to make atonement by the sacrificial system. But there became apparent a need for a representative, again, a federal head who would represent this nation before God. And God in David establishes the Davidic covenant. There, God promises through David and his line to establish a throne forever for Israel and to give them stability and rest in the land. And also that God's very presence through this covenant would be established with his people and his own presence would would protect and guard the people. And we see this realized in the Old Testament, which would be a high point of the Old Testament in the, uh, the temple. Solomon builds this temple, the son of David. God's presence comes and fills the temple. And this really is the, the apex of the Old Testament, where they, in many ways, realize these promises that God has given. But God also told David that if they do not hold fast to the laws given under the Mosaic Covenant... If the kings and his offspring do not hold fast, they will be cut off. They themselves will be removed. God's promises will remain, but those individual sons of David themselves can be cut off. Listen to what he says in 1 Kings. I know this is a bit of a review, but it is uh, important. In 1 Kings 9.4, in giving uh, David instructions here, We find, and as for you, if you walk before me, uh, to to Solomon, sorry, his son, if you walk before me as David, your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I've commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David, your father, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them and the house that I have consecrated for my name. I will cast out of my sight and Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss and they will say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods, and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. And in 2 Chronicles 36, we have a great summary as well. 36, 15, we read, The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. And so we find that these covenants had immediate implications for a specific people at a specific time. If they kept the covenant instructions, they enjoyed the blessings given even to Abraham But if they failed to uphold the word of God, they themselves would be cut off from these blessings. And yet the promise of God remains. And so what we begin to see through these covenants given through Israel is that they also point beyond themselves and they point above themselves to a descendant of Abraham. A offspring now we know of David 
who will establish this royal throne and will bring about the fulfillment of all the promises God made, though the people themselves may not even enjoy them. O. Palmer Robertson said this, he said, Just as the Levitical priesthood anticipated the abiding priesthood of Jesus Christ, just as Moses and the school of the prophets anticipated the prophet par excellence, so David and his throne anticipated the beneficent reign of the coming Messiah. There is in these covenants also we see a growing anticipation of the messianic king, the offspring of Abraham, the son of David, who will be established before God? Another helpful summary. Uh, I know I've quoted Sam Renahan uh, several times, but he said the imperfections of the Israelite kingdom and its covenants combined with the promises of God produced a longing for something other and greater than what Israel experienced. The exile heightened this tension to its maximum. Life could not get worse for a people who had been promised something so much better. And as the prophets received their word from God, God began to put in the minds of his people a new covenant through a future Messiah, a covenant of peace with a new sanctuary of God's presence. And so you have this tension building, a people with wonderful, tremendous promises from God, and yet here they are in exile because of their own covenant breaking and lawlessness and idolatry. And we have this increasing desire and expectation for God to send forth this Messiah. So the question then we must consider is how did the witnesses of Christ perceive his coming in light of these covenant promises? And so it's going to be a little bit of jumping around here um, this morning as I want to try to look at uh, several different categories of witnesses I know I was trying to um, kind of give a, my wife an overview of the sermon um, yesterday, and she said, so basically you're going to try to preach all the narrative passages of Christ's birth in one sermon. And I was like, well, not exactly. We do have this afternoon to try and, and bring this together. But uh, we certainly won't look exhaustively at any of the witness accounts. But I want to specifically try to look for some of these covenant uh, themes that we've been looking at and how the witnesses of Christ understood those in light of Christ's coming. So I know we read from um, Luke there. We're going to come to Zechariah's account, but actually I want to first consider the witness of the angels in around Christ's birth. Because I think as, as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, we are still prone to miss the point uh, we are still prone to misunderstand what God is doing. And so I think the witnesses of Christ also are there to help us rightly identify him and understand the nature of his coming. And so just as they were given for the people of Israel and for the nations at that time, so we can learn from these witnesses. And so we're looking specifically for the promises um, of Abraham. We had the promise of an offspring. We had the promise of land or a kingdom, we could say. We had the promise of a blessing to the nations in that Abrahamic covenant. In the Davidic, we had the promise of an enduring throne and peace and, and prosperity for the people and also for God's abiding presence with his people. Those promises are, are, are at the very 
uh, center of what Israel is looking for and expecting in this Messiah. So what do the witnesses tell us? Well, let's first consider the witness of the angels. So we'll just back up a little bit in Luke 1 here to start. Luke 1 and uh, verse 17. And we have to appreciate as well the, the hundreds of years of silence from heaven prior to this point. No word from God, no angel, uh, no angelic activity. And then all of a sudden we have this flurry of activity, angels coming and speaking once again to the sons of man. And so we have first then the angel coming to Zechariah. And uh, so just... Um, Verse 13 of uh, Luke 1. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn the hearts of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And we find in verse 19, this angel is Gabriel and he says, I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And of course, he gives him the consequence of silence because of his lack of faith at this word from God. So this angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah and he tells Zechariah that the son he is going to have will be a forerunner to the Lord himself. And we can't miss the significance of that. Who is coming that needs to be made ready for? It's the Lord himself, he says. Your son John will go before the Lord and will prepare for him a people. So we have this announcement from the angel, the Lord himself is coming. This is Adonai. This is the God of the covenant. He is coming to his own people. And Gabriel tells Zechariah this and gives him the announcement uh, of a son. So if we go a little further in uh, Luke one twenty six, we have Gabriel again coming. Now we're told this is uh, months later. Um, Elizabeth now six months along in the pregnancy and so we're told Gabriel comes now to Mary. And I know it's a passage we're familiar with, but let's listen to, again, the, the witness of, the, of Gabriel here in light of the covenant promises that the people are expecting. So he says to Mary, um, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she is troubled at this, we're told. Verse 30, the angel says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your room. And bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And the angel points out in verse 35 that the Holy Spirit will be the one who brings about this conception. The child will be called the Son of God. And we have, again, the witness of the angel. Now, of course, we have um, not only that, but we have in um, Matthew 1, 
And we'll try to put these together in a moment. Matthew 1, we have also another witness from the angels. And of course, in Matthew 1, we have the angels coming to the shepherds and announcing to them also what is unfolding. And so um, Matthew 120, I guess I know we're jumping around here, so don't feel necessarily have to uh, follow to all these references. Looking at the witness of the angels, Matthew 1, I'm sorry, this is to uh, Joseph specifically. So Joseph, after uh, the angels had spoken to Mary, presumably, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So here the angel comes and announces to Joseph what is going on. The the child within Mary is conceived within her by the Holy Spirit, and he is to name his name Jesus. So we are getting also a clear instruction on the name that is to be given to Christ. And we know the name Jesus. uh, It means Yahweh saves, uh, Yeshua. It, It is a word that indicates that God is bringing salvation to his people. And this is a fulfillment of the prophecy. And we find another name, Emmanuel, which indicates to us as well as happening, God with us. So already we're getting these promises of the covenants brought together in the witness of the angels. His name will be Jesus. Um, Yahweh saves. His name will be Emmanuel, God with us. God is going to again tabernacle among his people. And the angels are testifying to this. And one more uh, account from the angel in Luke 2. This is where we have the the angels coming, of course, to the shepherds. And so the angels are very uh, active in announcing this news and bearing witness to the birth of Christ. So the angels in, in Luke 2, 9, were told an angel of the Lord appeared to these shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. So here again we find other references. We have the city of David, which is obviously significant. We have this term Christ, which means Messiah or anointed one. So the anointed of God is coming into the world, has come, the angels tell the shepherds, is born. And we're told also that this is given for all the people. And glory to God in the highest, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So now there is this 
this fulfillment of the Davidic messianic king, the anointed of God. But we're also given this picture that this is given for all the peoples. There is now this this uh, global announcement to the blessings of this child. And we see, we're starting to see these covenant promises that God has given being fulfilled in the coming of Christ. And for this first group of witnesses, the angels, it is mysterious to us. Uh, we know that Gabriel, as he said, serves um, close to the throne of God. He is a, a reliable witness, we could say. Um, but of course, we could imagine for a moment that if we were there uh, around the, these events and we had a group of, say, a group of cattle ranchers were to come to you and to claim that they saw angels while they were out in the field late at night and that they had this incredible message from these angels that God is sending, sending the Christ, his anointed, or from Mary's perspective, if you knew uh, you know, a, a really pleasant young lady who had a love for the Lord, but she, she came and announced to you that an angel had visited her and that she was going to conceive a child, though she is not yet married, uh, you, you would be suspicious. We, we would be skeptical, I think, if we are honest with ourselves. And yet God is pleased to give this angelic witness that we might also believe and understand. Though many in Israel would have probably brushed this off as um, a, a not credible source. But we, we can learn from these witnesses of what God is doing. We see the name given, Yahweh saves, the anointed one, Christ, the Messiah, the King, Emmanuel, God with us. This child is going to bring about these promises. We're told even um, the, the words uh, to Mary that he will establish an endless kingdom. So this also brings in the promise given to, to David uh, and to Abraham of, of a land, of a kingdom, of a dominion that will come through this child. So that is the first witness, and we'll just consider one more witness this morning. And then we'll look at a few this afternoon that are fairly brief, but are still important. So first of all, we consider the witness of the angels and see, in fact, that they testify God is bringing about these covenant promises in the Christ child. The second witness that I want to consider for a few moments is the witness of his family. And first of all, uh, Elizabeth, we have this very brief moment in Luke 1.42 where Mary is going to visit Elizabeth. And we have the response of Elizabeth and also of John, who is in her womb. And these are relatives to Mary and Joseph. And so in, in Luke 1.42, we see the first witness from her family. We find Mary goes um, to visit Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we're told in verse 41 there, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believes that there would be a fulfillment 
of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And so Elizabeth testifies as well. And and it's interesting, in all of these witnesses, as far as men and women go, there is this indication that they are filled with the Spirit. And so it is the Spirit of God who is the one working within them, guiding them, instructing them, revealing to them what is really going on. And she testifies that Mary is the mother, she says, of my Lord, of Adonai. She is carrying in her womb God in flesh. And John, even even within the womb of Mary, is already bearing witness to Christ. And it's such an incredible picture of his role as well. The forerunner, the one preparing the way. Even from the womb, with, with leaps of joy, John is testifying, this is him, this is the Messiah, this is the Lord God coming into our presence. And so we have the clear witness of Elizabeth. And then we have, following that, the witness of Mary herself, who we're told also testifies. And we have the Magnificat of Mary, which I know we've mentioned before is very much paralleled to Hannah's prayer uh, in 1 Samuel, which we looked at as Hannah's prayer for a son is answered in Samuel. And Mary's prayer is very much also looking at the faithfulness of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God. Um, But specifically, um, look with me uh, at verse 54, as Mary praises God in in the Holy Spirit. 54, Mary says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. And in in Mary's praise and song of, of rejoicing to God, she makes specific mention here as well to the servant Israel. Now, Remember, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and it later became uh, a title for the entire nation, all the offspring of Abraham. But she is referencing the covenant promises of God here, and, and God's word that he spoke to the fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. You see, in their minds, they understood the promises. They understood that these promises had yet to be fulfilled in their fullness, and they were waiting and looking for the fulfillment. And Mary's testifying here and saying, in Christ, there is the uh, evidence that God has helped his servant Israel and remembrance of his mercy. And he is remembering the promises given to Abraham. And in Christ, we see that fulfillment as well. Now we move on to the the passage that um, Steve read for us, which is, also very insightful as we think of Zechariah's witness, not only Elizabeth and Mary, but Zechariah is just overflowing with this covenantal language in 67, filled also with the Holy Spirit. The Lord God of Israel, he says, has visited and redeemed his people, raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke of his holy prophets from of old. And we have this Davidic covenant language here that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, um, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. You see, this is central in their hearts and minds. God has made covenants. He has made oaths and promises. And he says the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him 
all our days. And then from 76 to 79, uh, he, he's kind of speaking about John's ministry specifically. John himself will be a prophet and will go before the Lord, preparing the way. But in 79, again, this blessing that was promised through Abraham is alluded to, the, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So Zechariah is overflowing with God's covenant faithfulness and seeing in Christ the fulfillment of those promises, the promise of an offspring, the promise of a kingdom, the promise of uh, a royal throne and dwelling secure that they might worship God in peace and God himself visiting and abiding with his people. All of these witnesses testify to the fulfillment of God's promises in Christ. And we might oftentimes, if we uh, maybe hear of something that is supposed to kind of solve a lot of problems in one, for example, I was uh, thinking about getting for Christmas my wife this pot that was supposed to be like five pots in one. And at the time, it seemed like a really good idea. Uh, you know, that you could eliminate the strainer and you could fry stuff and you could, I don't know what all you could do <laughs> exactly. Supposedly it would take away five. And so I thought it sounded wonderful. Uh, I mentioned the idea to my wife and so she looked up a review on uh, America's Test Kitchen or something. And they do all these tests with these pots and then realized that actually it failed some of the tests and it was better just to have the, the item that was made. Um, and, and so I think uh, a lot of times, even for you as men, maybe you, you find this tool that's supposed to replace 10 tools, you know, and it, it's going to, to do all of these things in one. And, and sometimes maybe, you know, it, it is helpful, but other times we realize oh, it, it's better to maybe have the, the uh, original tools and, and we, we are skeptical of those sort of claims. And no doubt there was an element of skepticism even for those that were hearing these witnesses claim that in Christ, all of these promises are coming to bear. They're all coming into their fulfillment in the giving of this son. And, uh, and, and, and there was obviously uh, a small remnant here that truly understood and testified to the fulfillment of God's promises and what he was doing. But for those that had eyes to see, those that had ears to hear, we realize that God is in Christ bringing about the fullness of these covenant promises to Abraham and to David. And those who do not receive it by faith will not enjoy the blessing. But for those who do receive it by faith, they are brought in. And uh, even in Romans 9, reading, reading with the children, that uh, he, Paul points out that not all of Israel is Israel in this sense. That those who do not receive by faith the promises of God, receive Christ the child, they are the branch that is pruned off. But for those who do receive, then they enter into the fullness of these promises. And so we may wonder, well, this is great if you are Jewish um, at this time. These, this seems to be uh, a wonderful fulfillment of all that God brought to, to the nation of Israel. And we may think, well, what does this all mean for us? living as Gentile nations, Gentile people, probably I would imagine very few of us would be uh, descendant from Abraham if we were to trace our lineage back. Um, we may wonder, well, what does this have to do with us? And what we find is in Christ, 
um, we'll look at this more in the weeks to come as well, that these covenants, just as the bird nest, remember children, we looked at the bird nest and how it was built for a time and it was used to bring forth the, the eggs. But what happens once those birds hatch and they leave the, the nest? Um, does, the, does the mother stay there? Does she continue to make her home there? What happens to the nest after the birds have hatched? There, she leaves it, right? It's, it's abandoned. You find empty nests. I assume the boys didn't dump the eggs out on the ground and found an empty nest. I didn't actually ask. But you will find them, right? And, and in a similar way, the covenants, the work of God among the Old Testament, it, it was as though Israel was the womb of the Messiah. The main purpose of these covenants, we realize, was to bring forth Christ into the world, to prepare the way for his coming. And then in Christ, as he is set up as the fulfillment Yes, for Israel, but now also the seed through which the blessings will go to the nations, we can enter in to Christ. And we'll look a little bit this afternoon at two more witnesses, a remnant of Israel, and then also a remnant of the, the, the pagan nations that come and testify to Christ as well. And look a bit more at the, the beauty of this opening of the door of grace to the Gentile nations through Christ, who is the fulfillment of of all that God promised. And so even for us who are maybe not under Abraham or David or Moses as a federal head, certainly we're under Adam and we feel the weight of sin. We feel the, the piercing effects of the curse and we struggle against it. Do, do we not long to also experience the, the blessing of God? I mean, do we not also long to, to know that our lives are being spent for something beyond ourselves, something more than just, the, 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 just you know, putting in time at work or, or you know, getting that new possession or, or whatever it might be? We want our lives to, to be part of something beyond just the temporal and, and, and something that's going to be enduring and lasting. Do we not long for that? Do we not desire communion with God, with our Creator, to be brought near to Him, to know His presence, to know His joy, to know, to know His protection over us? Do we not desire to be part of a, a righteous land? You know, many times we, we think of Job, who Hebrews tells us vexed his righteous soul while living in Sodom. And many times that's how we feel living in even our own country. This vexing of the soul with debauchery and and wickedness wherever you go. I just saw the other day in our own country, uh, you know, they have 50-year-old men that are allowed to go and change with the, the young ladies on the swim team. Why? Because he identifies as a teenage girl. And, 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 and just the, 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 the complete blindness and handing over to debauchery in our own nation. And we can feel discouraged. And, and, and it should produce in us an increased longing to experience the righteous reign of a just king in, a, in, a, in a, a land that we can freely worship and serve, even as Zechariah mentioned, where life can flourish and evil is driven out. Do we not desire to see the tyranny of sin removed from our lives, defeated, conquered? And as we realize that in Christ, all of these promises are offered to us to receive by faith and come under Christ as our new federal head, no longer under Adam or under the curse of the law, but under Christ who is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who is the, the, the author of a new creation, who is even now establishing and advancing his kingdom 
upon the earth. Let us see the beauty of what God has done. Do not turn back to the old. And uh, there seems to be even um, you know, movements today where people want to go back and begin celebrating the, the Jewish feasts and remembering the Jewish holidays and keeping the, the, the dietary laws and all of these things. And, and, and that's really a going back. That's a, that's a returning to the nest that was there to bring forth the Messiah. We are to rejoice in him and not go back. And in fact, in Matthew 12, 42, Jesus said, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here, Jesus says. He announces he is the greater son of David. He is the presence of God among his people, not simply in the temple, but now God himself dwelling among his people. We beholding his glory, John says, glory as of the only begotten, the glory of God manifest in Christ. And we behold it now through his word, uh, enabled by his spirit. But may we rejoice in it. May we abide in it. And may we uh, live under Christ as our King and our Savior. And so we'll close there for this morning as we consider the testimony of these witnesses pointing to the fact that God is faithful to his covenant promises. Let's pray and we'll close with a song. Bow with me, please. Father, we come before you and just give you thanks, Lord, that you have graciously brought about the fullness of your promises in Christ. And Lord, for the incredible witnesses that we have, I pray though we uh, have heard the, the accounts often, especially this time of year, Lord, where we maybe read them multiple times. Um, Lord, we pray that the, the, the wonder of it is never lost on us, but we truly um, begin to understand the beauty of, of this announcement that you yourself came down, dwelt among your people, Lord, revealed your glory, and Lord, the, the fullness of all the desires of, of Jerusalem were, were seen in Christ. Lord, this, this longing to dwell under a righteous king in, a, in an eternal kingdom where your own presence is the strength of your people. And we know that you offer this even now to us by your Holy Spirit to repent of our sins, to hold fast to Christ. And Lord, that your spirit will enter in And we too may cry, Abba, Father. And so we thank you. And I pray you help us to just abide uh, richly and to enjoy the time of fellowship this afternoon. And uh, just that you, Lord, just guide and, and, and direct all that is said and done. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon preached at Redeeming Grace Bible Church. If you'd like to find out more about Redeeming Grace Bible Church or find other sermons and resources, please visit us online at www.redeeminggracechurch.ca. We pray that the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. That the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.